Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. We are getting close to the end of our Facebook Live book reading from the Book of Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. Uh, Coming back after the weekend, we're towards the end of chapter 11, and there's only 12 chapters, so we're not going to even make it all the way through the rest of this week with our daily readings, but I'll be glad to see you at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on Facebook. Uh, We're beginning today on the bottom of page 245, a real familiar verse in Scripture, Psalm 119, and especially the verse, Thy word is, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's look at that today under the heading, Clinging to God's Word, a Lamp to My Feet. We've been talking about following Jesus as a kind of journey or adventure where you can make progress or even get disoriented, take a detour or take the scenic route, or even engage completely in the activity of the journey while God remains in control of the direction and final destination. Discipleship is a journey the adventure of following Jesus. The Bible uses that language for discipleship as well. A disciple is nothing less than a follower, and following, by definition, requires progress over across distance over time. When Jesus said to the first disciples, follow me, or even come and see, he meant it literally and physically but also as an invitation to be a traveling companion on the road of faith and life, to learn from Jesus by observation and imitation, to see Jesus interact with Scripture, and to hear Jesus pray, and to listen in on the conversations Jesus had with all kinds of people, from religious experts to scandalous sinners, from foreign women to desperate fathers, from people as far left on the political scale as you can get, to people farther right than you can possibly imagine. And all that time, day by day, as they walked and rode and crisscrossed the Judean countryside, the disciples were following Jesus in the fullest sense of the word. You often experience your life as a journey where you do literally travel from time to time, but where you can also make progress at work or reach a dead end in a relationship, or face a crossroads that will determine the direction of your life for years to come. You live your life as a kind of journey. People in both Old and New Testaments often shared that way of experiencing life and faith. Sticking with Psalm 119 for a moment, you can see that experience of life as a journey right there from section A, what we looked at last, uh, last time we read together. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies and who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. That's Psalm 119, 1 to 3, and verse 5. The Torah of Yahweh is a kind of path or way. You can walk in that direction, toward that destination, or not. The psalmist knows which way is better and pronounces blessings on those who follow the Torah path. The psalmist also expresses a personal desire to follow that same path and, by extension, to travel the route and reach the destination laid out by this path. 
the way of the statutes or testimonies or law or word of God. This journey can sometimes be described as seeking God, a type of movement with focused intention, while separation from God is experienced as losing your path, getting lost, or wandering. Overall, the experience of this sort of faith adventure is described in terms of delight. From the B section of Psalm 119, we get, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight, Seuss, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight, sha'ah, in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That's from the Aleph, Beit, A-B section of Psalm 119. Remember, that's an acrostic, and so all the different sections start with different letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The first one came from the Aleph section. This one comes from the Beit, or B section. Psalm 119, verse 10, and then 13 to 16. Some of the rhythms of this psalm may be familiar by now. Notice how the story of God's self-revelation in human history gets a long list of rough equivalents. In these few short verses, we get your commandments, the rules of your mouth, your testimonies, your precepts, your statutes, and your word. If you asked, do these words refer to God's commands or to God's saving promises? I hope you would answer, why yes. Yes, they do. You can also see the connection between the mouth as the organ of the word and meditation as keeping the word in your mouth. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. I don't think that's telling other people how to follow God's rules. I think that's the psalmist chewing on and repeating and ingesting God's word, the equivalent of meditating on or repeating out loud to yourself God's precepts a few verses later. And of course, you notice the two delight words, joyful delight, Seuss, like Dr. Seuss, jump for joy, and playful delight, sha'a, wee. But you probably also notice the journey language, seeking, wandering, or fixing your eyes on and delighting in God's ways. So far, we've only looked at sections A and B, Aleph and Beit, of this alphabetical tour de force, and we've already seen that faith is a journey an adventure of delight, and God's word points you the right way. You could explore God's word and find some other places where delight and journey overlap. In fact, you should. That would be fun. Here are a few more I found in Psalm 119 alone. So here are selected verses from Psalm 119 that connect journey and delight language. I am a sojourner on earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Your testimonies are my delight. Sha'ah. Wee! They are my counselors. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight, kafets, yes, please, in it. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Sha'ah. Wee! The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are my joy, Seuss, woohoo, of my heart. I long for your salvation, O Lord, 
and your law is my delight. Sha'ah, wee! Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. From the very first verse to the very last verse of Psalm 119, from Aleph to Tav and everywhere in between, you find delight in God's word on a journey of faith. There is one journey or adventure in Psalm 119 I've avoided on purpose so far. Of all 176 verses of, of the psalm, it's the verse you know best. Maybe because Psalm 119 verse 105 is so familiar, it's also easy to gloss over quickly. So I want to slow down and meditate on verse 105 a little bit. Growl over it like a lion gnawing on a bone. Rub my hands like Rub it in my hands like lemon, basil, or chocolate mint until the aroma fills my experience. I want to dig in and get my hands dirty and see where this word of from God takes us next. You know Psalm 119 verse 105. Now let's chew on it together. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I told you you knew it. You usually see this verse out of context, and hey, with the 175 other verses in Psalm 119, I get it. Even out of context, you can recognize the Hebrew parallelism we've seen in other places. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Lamp is parallel to light, and my feet parallel to my path. You know life is a kind of journey, and this faithful follower is using the lamp of God's word to light the path they are walking. A beautiful image, and one worth pondering. Have you ever seen an oil lamp in real life? I mean an ancient oil lamp, a Bible times oil lamp, the kind of lamp the psalmist says the word of God is like. I have. And it was pretty much by accident. I was down in the basement of a seminary library when I opened the door to some back room, and there it was, in a glass display case, lit up all nice, was a real bona fide oil lamp from Bible times. It looked something like your grandmother's china creamer, or that miniature gravy bowl that comes out only once a year at Thanksgiving. That ancient artifact was roughly tear-shaped with a small spout for the wick and some sort of opening on the top for the olive oil. This oil lamp, like most from that era, was small enough to be held in one hand, and it was fashioned carefully out of baked clay. You could see decorative tool marks all around the top rim. It was pretty cool to think that here was something used by real people who lived at the time of Jesus or King David. No wonder the seminary kept it under lock and key to keep it safe. No wonder they kept it under glass to protect it from dust. No wonder they lit that clay oil lamp up so nicely so you could see every detail of the design. Now keep that picture in mind of an artifact under glass, and then I want you to imagine how the psalmist would have used that same oil lamp in real life. You see, the psalmist isn't writing for people who see that small clay lamp as a historical artifact to be lit up and put on display. No, the psalmist is writing for people who know from daily experience that the dark can be dangerous and scary. You can get 
hurt in the dark. You can become disoriented in the dark. You can lose your way in the dark. Without a lamp, the dark can be dangerous indeed. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, the psalmist says, a path that is rocky and treacherous in the dark and full of sharp curves and steep hills. The psalmist understands the grave danger. What does the near context say? Psalm 119, 109-110 says, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. This is risky business, this traveling at night. To travel at night is to take your life in your hands. You could get hurt. You could become disoriented. You could lose your way. And to lose your way is to fall into the traps set by the enemy. To lose your way is to be swallowed by the darkness. To lose your way is death. So you have to clutch that clay oil lamp tightly in your hand and watch your step because so much is at stake. Because the dark all around you is dangerous indeed. Chew on those verses a while and you begin to see that for the psalmist, the dark is a dangerous place. That idea is so different from my day-to-day reality. Do you know what I mean? In our culture, darkness is little more than a minor hindrance, a very brief inconvenience. We're not afraid of the dark, and why should we be? We have flashlights and floodlights and emergency lights. We have streetlights and headlights and nightlights, all of which turn on automatically when it gets dark, so it never gets dark. We have lights on motion detectors and on timers and on wireless networks. We have lights you can switch on and dial on and... My favorite, ask Siri or Google or Alexa to turn on for you. We don't live in a world where the difference between life and death is a small clay oil lamp. We live in a 24-hour drive through fluorescent light bulb with a 10-year guarantee. We'll leave the light on for you kind of culture, a culture that says you're not in danger, you're in control. In a culture like ours, it's easy to see your oil lamp as something that might have been good for people at the time of Jesus or King David, but as mostly irrelevant today. It's easy to take that small clay artifact and put it under glass, light it up real nice, and leave it in the basement of a library at the seminary where it belongs. Nowadays, a biblical oil lamp is treasured more for its history than for its function. After all, in this fluorescent bulb culture, who needs the light of an outdated oil lamp? In direct opposition to the idea that scripture is an interesting relic that belongs under lock and key, the psalmist says to God, your word is a lamp to my feet. With those words, Psalm 119 puts you in the dark in a very dangerous place where losing the path means falling into deadly traps. The darkness is oppressive. Try traveling through the rocky hill country around Jerusalem at night with nothing but a small wick fed by olive oil. The darkness surrounds you on all sides, and without your iPhone or your global positioning system or your night vision goggles, you only have one hope. 
Psalm 119 puts you in the dark and then invites you to grasp with firm hand the light. That small, ordinary, common oil lamp has a job to do, a crucial function, a clear-cut job description. You aren't supposed to shine a spotlight on the lamp and put it on display. No, it's the lamp's job to shed light. The lamp's job to give direction. The lamp's job is to light the way, the only way, home. God's word is like that. God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path when I need it most. God's word keeps me on the path that leads me home. Well, that's a real comfort that God's word keeps me on the path that leads me home. Uh, this week, we got a diagnosis of COVID in our household. So we are not on the road in the dark. We are at home in the dark right now. We're waiting for a couple other people to get tested. And we are, according to the Center of Disease Control, under quarantine now for the next uh, couple of weeks. And we'll see how that goes. So uh, we're back to being shut in at home and dealing with some illness and watching people to see if they have symptoms and making sure symptoms don't get worse. So we're living through what our whole country has been living through in one way or another, our whole world, uh, this threat and fear of COVID being a reality. And in the midst of that darkness and that danger, we've got God's light that points us the way home. Uh, I think we've got enough that the last section is fairly short, and it's an important one. It connects the light of God's word to the way. This last section of chapter 11 is called Jesus and God's word. Jesus, in his human flesh, depended on God's word. After his own wandering in the wilderness for 40 days, Jesus, in his flesh, was hungry. But when the tempter offered an easy way out, the faithful son held on to God's word. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, verse 4. Jesus makes the words of Moses his own words and holds on to God's word in a dangerous place where it would be easy to lose your way. Jesus would later use the relationship between word, mouth, bread, food, and life to describe his own purpose and mission. In John 6, Jesus answered, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. In his flesh, Jesus relies on God's word. As God's word in the flesh, Jesus offers himself as life-giving bread Jesus bridges the distance between heaven and earth in his own body and becomes seed for the sower and bread for the eater. The Apostle Peter can write, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. That's 2 Peter 1.19. John can write, In the beginning was the word, and in him was life, 
and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's from John 1. But Peter and John are only echoing the teachings of the rabbi they followed on their journey of faith, interpreting scripture the way their rabbi interpreted scripture. Jesus said, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And you're right, because these are the very scriptures that testify about me. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. That's from John 5. Jesus seems to think that the word of God, which Psalm 119 calls a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, path actually points people clearly to him. Jesus said to the Emmaus Road disciples, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus said to those in the upper room, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Those are two scenes from Luke's post-resurrection narrative in Luke 24. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path, the psalmist writes. Your faith life is a journey, and there is a danger and darkness all around. The enemy has laid snares and set traps for you. The journey can be treacherous and confusing. On that treacherous journey, you have a clear path, a way to get home. And the lamp points you to the way, the way, the truth, and the life. Your Bible is not intended to function like an ancient artifact that you put on display and dust off every now and then. You're supposed to need the word and desire the word and cling to the word as if your life depended on it. Because it does. God's word points you to Jesus, the way, and even in the dark, Jesus can get you safely home. I hate to sound like a squeaky bicycle wheel, but that sense of danger brings me back to the difference between burden and delight. You need to know this journey you're on can be dangerous. There's even an enemy who has laid traps for you. Jesus doesn't want you to put your family Bible on display under glass and treat it like an artifact from a bygone age. At the same time, fear is not the motivating factor for dusting off your Bible. While Psalm 119, while Psalm 119 does acknowledge difficulty and trial and danger, the overwhelming sense of Psalm 119 is a party with God's word as the guest of honor. The psalmist absolutely loves God's word. God's word makes you go woohoo and yum and wee and yes, please. In Psalm 119, God's word brings joyful delight and delicious delight and playful delight and desirable delight. Yes, the journey of faith can be dangerous, but then... All real adventures have some element of danger. It's true you will even end up walking in the valley of the shadow of death. 
and holding firmly to God's word as you follow God's path, even there you will know the light of life. Like we said in the last chapter, the fear of failure sucks joy. Reading God's word can be like that too. If you're so hung up on getting every detail of every interpretation exactly right, you will die of exhaustion before you can take two steps following Jesus. Eating an exquisite feast is not about how carefully you chew. Releasing the aroma of a fresh sprig of chocolate mint is not about the skill or method of your rubbing fingers. Walking a dangerous and adventurous road at night is not about how correctly you hold your lamp. Yes, some ways of chewing or rubbing or lamp holding produce unintended effects that could even defeat the purpose. If you don't pay attention and the oil spills everywhere or your wick gets too long or the fire goes out, that's bad. You're supposed to keep your wick trimmed and burning. But if you carry the burden of chewing or rubbing or holding the lamp exactly right every time, you will lose the joy of the feast, the aroma of the herb, the adventure of the journey. Fear sucks joy. Of course, you want to interpret scripture in good ways and not in bad ways. And of course, you will get better at handling the word with practice. But it's never merely about how well you handle the word. Your hermeneutics grade doesn't get you into heaven. The technique, the method, the how of your interpretation is not as important as what you're interacting with. The aroma is the focus, not your herb rubbing technique. The flavor and sustenance and delight of the feast is primary. Your chewing method less so. The light of the lamp you cling to is what will get you home. How you hold the lamp matters, but only because the lamp matters more. The power is in the word. The word delivers Jesus. And you don't have to carry the burden of perfect interpretation. Jesus has got you covered. Jesus loves showing up to bridge the distance between you and God, between heaven and earth. Jesus loves being on this adventure with you. Jesus loves being your feast, your power, your light in the dark. Even when your biblical scholarship or interpretive technique is less than perfect, Jesus shows up. Because Jesus absolutely loves meeting you in the Word. What a delight. Chapter 11 ends with a brief description of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's method for meditating on the Word, chewing on the Word several days in a row using the same verses. I would recommend that to you. That starts on page 257, that Bonhoeffer meditating on the Word. Hey, we're done with chapter 11. Next comes chapter 12, and it's a short kind of, it's a shorter chapter to wrap up the whole book. So we got a couple more nights, two or three of the tops, and then we're done. So uh, enjoy your evening. Thank you so much for joining us here. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.